Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. Stories are told. There's laughter. Soon enough, the, the platters, the serving dishes are rushed out of the kitchen and arranged in tight formation on the, on the dining room table. Family members, relatives, a friend or two are invited to take a place around the table. Special prayer on this day of, of thanks to the Lord for all of his gifts. And then the, the plates and the food are, are passed around the table. Dark meat, white meat, a little bit of both. How about some mashed potatoes, stuffing, the gravy, sweet potatoes, green bean casserole, you know, with the dried onion sprinkled on the top, black olives, pickle. After the dinner, coffee is served, and there's a choice of two, maybe three kinds of pie. I realize that the menu for Thanksgiving dinner varies from household to household. But there's one thing that's common to every Thanksgiving dinner. There's, there's really good food. And there's also really good conversation. So two and a half weeks from today, what are you going to talk about around the Thanksgiving table? You can talk about politics? I don't think so. Talk about the football games? Yeah. I think most likely, around a Thanksgiving dinner, people talk about food and family. Like, so didn't grandma used to put little tiny bits of orange peel in her cranberry sauce? Didn't grandma do that? Didn't Timmy once start crying like a little baby after Liz knocked over his glass of milk on grandma's tablecloth? Ah, Timmy. Remember that one year when we went to Uncle John's and there was an ice storm and we almost had to turn around and go home? Remember that? That would have been a disaster. Remember how Dad and Carl would, would, would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and they'd put this huge turkey in the oven and then they'd stand there like sentinels for the whole morning and check on it every half hour. And then eventually somebody gets a little sentimental and they say, you know, if grandma were here, she'd sit right there closest to the kitchen, wouldn't she? I miss grandma. And somebody else, I, I, miss, I miss dad and, and Carl and I miss Liz. You know how that goes. And somebody gets a little misty-eyed as they're thinking about who's not there. And then somebody else might even drive home that evening because they're, they're on that day in particular, they're missing the man who used to snore on the other side of the bed. They're missing the little boy who used to talk in his sleep down the hallway. They're missing the college-age girl who used to get up before sunrise the next day so that she could go to the Black Friday sales. Thanksgiving dinner, it's, it's one of my favorite days of the whole year, one of my favorite occasions. I imagine it might be yours, but there's always somebody missing. 
whether it's someone that they, they could make the trip, it was too far, it was too expensive, somebody who had a commitment to another branch of their family tree, or they're missing because they've died. And so that day in particular, those occasions can be kind of bittersweet as we think about those who, who simply can't be there. Which makes today and a visit to the mountain of the Lord especially meaningful for us. To an Old Testament Israelite, the mountain of the Lord was, was the mountain where Abraham was directed to sacrifice Isaac. And then later on, the mountain of the Lord to an Israelite was that, that hill in Judea where their capital city of Jerusalem was located, where their king had his palace, where the Lord showed himself at his, at his holy temple, their, their proud and, and, and powerful city of Jerusalem. Except if you read the book of the prophet Isaiah, you find that old Jerusalem wasn't going to last. Isaiah is a really good book to read when you get, when you get a little too intense about your politics when you get a little too worried about what's going to happen on election day, when you, get, when you get a little too overly concerned about your earthly government or other earthly governments and what they're going to do to one another or to their citizens. Because in, in, in Isaiah's book, in the course of, of 12 of his 66 chapters, he goes from one kingdom to another. He goes from Babylon to Assyria to Philistia to Moab to Damascus to Ethiopia to Edom to Arabia to Tyre. And he says that all of those governments are going to come under God's judgment and fall. He even says that about the kingdom of Israel. He even writes that about the kingdom of Judah with proud Jerusalem as its capital. It, it, it's kind of like Psalm 46, where the psalmist says, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. And yet we're, what we're looking at on the mountain of the Lord is not an earthly kingdom or an earthly authority. Instead, the mountain of the Lord is, is picture language for the gathering, the eternal gathering of all who have believed God's promises. It's the gathering of all those upon whom God has demonstrated his grace. It's the new Jerusalem. It's the everlasting church of God in all its glory. And as we're reading in today's passage, the mountain of the Lord, the new Jerusalem, is where the Lord powerfully takes away and where he generously gives. He powerfully takes away. You know what it's like to grieve the loss of someone that you have loved. When people grieve a death of a loved one, 
they somehow wish to cover themselves. So you see things like people will cover themselves in black clothing and, and put a veil over their face, or they'll sequester themselves in their homes so that their grieving can be done in private. They also, when someone has died, they, they cover the body with a sheet, and then they close and cover the casket, and then they cover the loved one six feet under. They shroud those that they love, even as there is this, this gloom, this, this, this covering of, of, of a dark cloud that hangs over their, their lives. You've seen that happen. Even in the last reading today, that Jesus goes to the tomb of his friend Lazarus and he's, he's moved by what he sees and tears cover his face. And then he does what Jesus does. He speaks through his tears and he powerfully takes away the grieving. And then he takes death away and Lazarus is called out from the tomb by the power of his word. Can you imagine the, the, the astonishment on people's faces, the, the shouts of, of shock when Lazarus comes out? Imagine the celebration when Lazarus goes back to his, his home. What that is, of course, is this little tiny glimpse for the benefit of the family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that the Lord in the last day is going to bring about for, for, for millions of families. So through the prophet, the Lord speaks, and he says it very directly. He says, on his mountain, the Lord will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, he will swallow up death forever. The mighty Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Grieving shroud and deathbed sheet taken away. The disgrace that the human race we brought upon ourselves as the wages for our sin taken away. Death and mourning taken away. And in the meantime, on his holy mountain, the Lord generously gives. Open your eyes and look at it. Close your mouth. Breathe in the aromas. Then open your mouth and taste. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will provide a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. More picture language for the heavenly banquet, the heavenly feast. Absolutely. This is the way the Lord helps us imagine what otherwise would be unfathomable for us. Like the, the, the best wedding reception ever, according to at least one of Jesus' parables. 
like the most exquisite Thanksgiving Day dinner ever. A dinner that includes the the loved one of yours, all of them, baptized in God's grace and, and clothed in the beauty of his righteousness. A dinner that includes your extended family, brothers and sisters that you got to know in your, in your churches on earth. A dinner that includes brothers and sisters that in this time you never met, and yet they come to the feast from every nation, tribe, language, and people, and they sit down with you to dine and to converse. So what, what are we going to talk about at that great Thanksgiving dinner? We'll talk about the exquisite wine that the Lord serves. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the the choicest of meats and the, the, the mashed potatoes and the sweet potatoes and the green bean casserole and the, and the many types of freshly baked pies that the Lord serves. You, you, you know, we have lots of questions about heaven and most of the questions about heaven, Scripture does not answer. But when the Lord speaks and he puts this in front of us, then why not look at it, taste it, see it, and recognize that I get. I understand what a great Thanksgiving dinner is, and I understand what it is to be with, with family that extends beyond the family that I have right now. What are we going to talk about at the feast on the mountain of the Lord? We're not going to talk about who's missing. Because you remember, the Lord has taken away the shroud. Death has been swallowed up forever. He's taken out his handkerchief and wiped the tears from every eye. There's no grieving. There's no death. There's, there's only life and immortality enjoyed by all who are present there. We're not going to talk about those who are missing. We'll talk about those who are there. And what are we going to say to them? Are we, are we going to share memories with one another? Why not? Are, 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 we going to, are we going to laugh with one another and joke with one another and enjoy one another's company? Why not? Why not imagine the heavenly life not as some vacuum where there's just clouds and a few angels and people playing harps, but in the very terms that the Lord puts before us, the feast, where he has, for Jesus' sake, invited us to come to the Thanksgiving dinner that's going to last forever. In the first lesson today, the, the, the final passage, the prophet Isaiah talks about one thing in particular that will be the topic of conversation. We're going to talk about the one who saved us. We will. We'll, we'll talk about how remarkably he turned away from his disappointment 
after all the, seeing all the ways that we fell short of his holy commands, how he did not hold our sins against us or count our iniquities against us. We'll talk about that with one another. How he showed compassion and gave up his own son on our behalf. How his son shed his blood and died to redeem us that we might, that we might be part of this celebration. We'll talk about how he saved us by sending his Holy Spirit to bring us to faith where we couldn't make that choice, but he brought us to that belief. We'll talk about how wide and long and high is the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we'll talk about how through all of life's difficulties, including our losses, he saved us and sustained us by his word. The prophet puts it really succinctly, the, the main focus of the conversation. He writes, In that day we will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. Surely this is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The earliest Christians saw a number of people over the years put to death because they confessed their faith. And initially their, their custom was they would have a day where they would commemorate a martyr, a, a, a saint's day, as they would call it. Well, around the year 400, such an intense persecution was unleashed that there were not enough days in the year to declare as holy days and holidays, ho holidays and, and, and commemorate the, the martyred saints. So they began the practice of, of a collective day called All Saints Day where they would remember all of them together. Around the year 700, that day was moved to November 1st, All Saints Day. Now I'll concede with you that many superstitions arose and that a number of the Christians would pray to these saints rather than praying to the Heavenly Father. And they would look to the saints for protection when they traveled or when they went off to war or, or for healing when they became sick rather than looking to the great protector, the Lord God. I would say that scripture identifies that as idolatry as putting others before the Lord, and you and I, would, would, we would keep away from that. But we can still celebrate All Saints Day. And on this day, we can, we can remember those who have gone before us. We can read about those who remained in the faith in, in, in times of difficulty and persecution and thank the Lord for them. We can remember in our thoughts and prayers those who were in our lives, 
parents or grandparents or siblings or friends. Remember them and give thanks for the, the faith that they passed on to us. We can even put white carnations out in memory of those whose, whose robes have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. We can pause and think about what gifts they were to us. And we can especially pause and think about what a gift the Lord Jesus was to them and how gracious God was to them and how he kept them in the faith to the very end. We can look back today. I imagine you will. But we can also look ahead. Because the resurrection of all believers means the reunion of all believers. It means a, a, a feast. It means a celebration. It means immortality and eternity in the presence of God. And it means even then and eternally, we'll be able to converse. And among the topics of our conversation, chief among them is this. Then we will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Amen.